Blog Talk Radio. House Mysteries. I'm Sherry Knowlton. I write the Alexa Williams series of books, Dead of Autumn, Dead of Summer, Dead of Spring, and the just-released Dead of Winter. Hi, I'm Jody West. I write the Carlisle Crime Cases, Dying for Vengeance, Courting Doubt and Darkness, Darkness at First Light, and Had a Dying Fall, featuring Carlisle homicide detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. I'm currently editing and revising my latest mystery, Things Strangled, which will be released later this year. Today in the Milford House Mysteries, we're pleased to have award-winning author Timothy J. Smith with us. We're going to chat with Tim about his latest literary thriller called The Fourth Courier, his other novels and um, writing. He's a pretty prolific guy. Um, and ask him to share a little bit about his fascinating life history. And I will introduce him. Uh, Ray's crisscrossing America, pulling a small green trailer behind the family car. Timothy J. Smith developed a ceaseless wanderlust that has taken him around the world many times. Polish cops and Greek fishermen, mercenaries, arms dealers, child prostitutes, and wannabe terrorists, Indian chiefs, Indian tailors, he hung them associated with them all, and an unparalleled international career that during which he smuggled band plays from behind the Iron Curtain, maneuvered through occupied territories, represented the United States at the highest levels of foreign governments, and stowed away aboard a devil's barge for a three-day crossing from Cape Verde that landed him in an African jail. These experiences explain the unique breadth and sensibility of Tim's work, for which he won top honors. Fire on the Island won the gold medal in the 2017 Faulkner Wisdom Competition for the novel. He won the Paris Prize for Fiction, it's now the Paris Literary Prize, for his novel, A Vision of Angels. Kirkus Reviews called Cooper's Promise, another of his works, a literary dynamite and selected it as one of the best books of 2012. Tim was nominated for the 2018 Pushcart Prize. His screenplays have won numerous competitions. His first stage play, How High the Moon, won the prestigious Stanley Drama Award. He is also the founder of the Smith Prize for Political Theater. Welcome to Milford House Mysteries, Tim, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Well, let's start um, at the beginning with your new novel. Um, A recent article in International Thriller Writers Magazine, The Big Thrill, called The Fourth Courier, a deeply atmospheric literary thriller set in post-Cold War Poland. Can you tell us about the book? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, It is set uh, in early 1992, 
uh, about three or four months after the actual legal um, dismantling of the Soviet Union, which happened on Christmas Day in 1991. Um, I lived in Poland during that period and um, decided when I, I wanted to write a book that basically reflected what ordinary Polish people went through. But what I usually do doing my books is to find a, a thriller plot that then becomes a, a way to um, really understand sort of more characters in, 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 a, in an area. The book, the, the story is basically opens. There have been three um, men murdered in Warsaw, Poland, all in the same fashion. And on the hands of the of the third victim, uh, they they discovered traces of radiation. At that time in Poland, there was a lot of fear that nuclear material might not be very well protected in Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union. And um, so when this radiation is discovered, of course, it becomes kind of an international incident. People think that possibly all three of these men were nuclear couriers and bringing stuff out of the Soviet Union to who knows to whom and what, what destination ultimately. So the the new Polish government, the Solidarity government, um, which was pretty unfamiliar with international investigations, asked for help, and the United States sends over an FBI agent uh, to help the Polish police investigate these crimes. And he teams up with the CIA agent who's already at the embassy in Warsaw, uh, and they become a team to try to figure out what's going on and if there is material, nuclear material involved, and where is it going if there is. Okay, so then you've spent time in Poland yourself, and then how, how did that affect the writing uh, of the, that help create the atmosphere for the fourth courier? Yeah, I, I was there for two and a half years. I um, what I was doing sounds rather dry for a writer. Uh, I wasn't a writer then; I was doing a, another career really. But my job was to consult. Be, I was an advisor to, to the new minister of finance who is basically reforming the entire economies of Eastern Europe, starting in Poland with, with uh, an economic, economic plan that took the country from a communist period into a market economy. And my job was to introduce, for the first time in Polish history, a long-term mortgage financing program so people could actually borrow money to buy houses. That mm-hmm. had never existed in the country. But hmm. it was a very new thing to everybody. Um, and for 45 years, the government, the communist government, presumably provided housing, but it was an incredibly inefficient system. And um, that's something I can talk about, that the inefficiency of communism is what made it fail, not actually whatever military scare that might have been coming from the West. It was really such an inefficient system. But um, I was all over the country uh, working with households, city councils. Uh, housing contractors about what this new system would mean and how they could participate in actually borrowing money to buy a house. It was a difficult time to do it because it was 300% inflation going on. And of course that causes a lot of problem trying to create a finance Mm -hmm. system that's sustainable, but that's what I was doing there. And I had a lot of experience, really intimate experiences with Polish families and stuff, because when you're talking to people about what kind of money they're making and, how they're going to be able to afford a house or just what their lives are like. I look a lot about what people were going through, not just superficially, but pretty, pretty 
pretty intimately in a sense. We're spending a lot of time with several Polish families, and yes, that colored or affected my my ability to write the work because I could actually then write it. And the whole atmosphere comes from the fact that I was there during the time. And, and it, Warsaw has always kind of an atmospheric city, but it's especially atmospheric fact that it was coming out of this communist era, which had really kind of deranged things a little bit. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Well, um, I have I haven't had a chance to read the, the whole book um, as we talked about a little bit before we went on the air, but I, I did read the, the yeah. first chapter that uh, you have on your website, and you know clearly I think you seem to convey a, a sense of um, you know just the whole air of uh, a little bit of the cynicism um, that the, the police that the, the main character was dealing with at the time. Now, you know, I love to travel, so, you know, I've been to lots of different countries, but um, you've actually, I think, had a lot of experience living in in these different countries, and each of your book involves foreign settings and social justice issues. Um, You know, they hop all over the globe and deal with subjects as varied as terrorism in Israel and on the Gaza Strip. Uh, which is uh, a vision of angels to intrigue in a small Greek village, uh, fire on the island. Uh, what draws you to a particular setting or theme for your books, Tim? Well, in terms of settings, I I like to write about places that I have lived in and know pretty well so that I can really not just superficially talk about what's going on sort of culturally, the dynamics in a culture that will change how a a story evolves or how a case is investigated or whatever. But what I personally look for, um, I I do a sense of social justice. I I had a career that started with the war on poverty in America and um, continued for for 25 years uh, working all over the world on projects to help basically low-income people. And um, so I like to find a subject that I that I, I'm concerned about and want to make people more aware about. So, for instance, my book in, uh, set in Africa is called Cooper's Promise, and that's really about human trafficking. The, the, the main character, who's a, actually an army deserter from the war in Iraq, uh, ends up in this West African town, and he's just hanging out, and he hangs out in a bar and meets a young girl there who's 14 and she's been trafficked into prostitution. And the whole story is how he's going to basically be able to, to save her from being trafficked on and moved on and, he, and, and disappear. Um, but I look for stories that I want to tell around issues that I want readers to become more aware of. So that's what really helps me select stories like the vision of angels, which is about the Palestinian Israeli conflict or, uh, a book I'm working on now is really about uh, the refugee crisis uh, in in Europe, and but but from a the perspective of refugees who have ended up in Istanbul. Hmm. You know, you've won it. Oh, I was going to say, I was just going to say, you've won an impressive number of awards for your novels, but you also write stage and screenplays. I wondered about 
and received considerable recognition for them as well. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your plays and screenplays, and how is that different from writing novels? Uh, well, stage plays, screenplays, and novels are all really very different. There's so there's three different pots of like ways to, to tell a story there. Um, I I love the theater, and if I had stayed in America, um, I would have probably tried to really make it as a as a stage stage play writer. Um, mm-hmm. I wrote my first stage play in the fourth grade. I was ten years old, and um, <laughs> I just saw. I've always seen a lot of theater. You're laughing, yeah, and I did. Um, I and and we can talk a little bit later about the Smith Prize for political theater because that's just basically part of what, how much I love the theater. Um, I really started out writing novels, and then I had finished A Vision of Angels. I w- was moving on to a second novel when I was taking a short course with Sebastian Junger, who wrote The Perfect Storm. Uh, which yeah. is a very popular book about 20 years mm-hmm. ago. And um, he had just sold the, the film rights to The Perfect Storm, and I asked him, are you going to write the screenplay? He said, no, the system didn't work like that. He would have absolutely nothing to do with it. And I thought, you know, I've just spent three years pouring my heart and soul into this novel, and if it, I ever had a chance to sell the film rights, I'd want to know enough about screenwriting to – have some artistic input into that, even if I might not ultimately write the screenplay. I'd want to. Mm-hmm. I'd want to have some no know, know about it. So I took a, I took a couple of courses. I fell in love with the way with screenplays, and for several years actually, I was really writing screenplays, either adapting nov- my own novels to screenplays or just writing uh, what they call spec plays, which are just um, you know just stories. And I, I really love the form, but I've got I've got I've come back to novels. I. I I also love I also love the right novels. So I do both. Um, if I can make one more comment on this, that without really comparing screenplays and novels, I will say that for me, when I write a novel, my last serious editing is doing the screenplay adaptation of it because it really forces you to look at this the through dramatic line. What's the real story? You don't have a lot of room in a screenplay to go off on a lot of tangents or a lot of backstory. And also mm-hmm. is a really good way to sharpen dialogue. So I, I use the screenplay as an editing tool as well as it gives me another product that I can try to get out there into contests or whatever. Wow, that's a good huh. point. So um, it, it, you, actually I was just going to ask you um, – because I, I don't think we've talked to an author uh, yet who does, you know, both plays, screenplays, and novels. Um, I know we've talked to a number of authors on this podcast who also do short stories. But I was going to ask, you know, how do, do the different um, modes of writing impact each other? And so you mentioned uh, sharpening the theme or sharpening the plot in a novel um, and dialogue. Uh, are there ways that writing a novel also um, is sort of turn about? Does that impact screenplays uh, writing in, in a particular way, do you think? Well, um, I, I'm going to answer that question somewhat indirectly. I, I, My writing is really driven by a sense, a real sense of scenes. I've always 
thought about stories in terms of scenes. Uh, it, when you read my novels, you'll realize that the chapters are short. They're basically almost just scenes. Now, as the novel develops, sometimes the chapters get longer and there's more kind of interaction between different characters and stuff going on. But I, I grew up in a household where the television was never turned off, and I saw an awful lot of television as a kid. And I think I just really grew up with a very visual sense of stories and a very um, scene-oriented way of telling a story. And I think in today's world, that really works. I'm always told that uh, people can see my stories as, as they read them. There's a real strong uh-huh. sense of, 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 of place. And I think that comes from that. And also, I think, I, you know, I, I, I'm a well-read guy, and I've read a lot of long books, and I've, like, I've read everything by Thomas Mann. I've never written this sort of stuff. But in today's world, what people want are things that move a little bit faster. And I also like that. And I think the fact that I'm thinking in terms of scenes as opposed to, oh, I've got to tell this whole backstory. But I'm thinking in terms of scenes, it moves my stories along. And so I think that works back and forth between novels and screenplays. I think I think they just really, really are synchronistic for me. Hmm. Oh, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, yeah, I'm really impressed by your bio, and uh, I've read a few other articles and reviews um, that suggest you had a very fascinating life. Um, you've worked and lived in a number of places and traveled extensively. Um, I, I'm wondering about the stint in the African jail. Can you talk about that? <laughs> you knew you were going to get our attention with that one, right? <laughs> All right, if you if you really want to know what happened in that that Africa jail, when you get in in the fourth, in oh no, I'm sorry, it's in uh, it's in Cooper's Promise. Um, there's a, there's a scene that I call the Catch Twenty Two scene, and that's where Cooper actually says to the cop who's arrested him, Catch Twenty Two. That is a verbatim of what what the exchange was between me and the, the policeman in Senegal. Um, the story is basically I was stranded on these islands, Cabo Verde, off the, off the west coast of Africa. And uh, for political reasons, there was no traffic between Cabo Verde and Senegal, which I was trying to get to, uh, to see a friend there who was in the Peace Corps. And I, um, there was a, 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 a cargo ship that came through that sort of faked the fact that it was having trouble with its engine or something and had to get to the nearest port, and that was Senegal. So... Um, this sort of strange cargo ship was going to Senegal and allowed me to come on board and wanted some exorbitant amount of money, which I didn't have. I mean, I was young and I was I had twenty dollars in my pocket basically. And um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, serious, I'm serious. They said, okay, you can come on board. You got to be there in twenty in twenty minutes, and uh, you, you will not be allowed inside the boat. So I was on a three day crossing. I was on the deck only. Um, I had no food. And uh, the only oh. food I had was when a flying fish came, flew over the boat, hit the deck house, landed on the landed on the deck. I grabbed it and traded it with the cook for like two biscuits. That was it. And um, yeah, it was really something. So, I, and I landed in Senegal. And the rule was is that to, to be able allowed into the country, you had to have you already had your exit ticket out. And I didn't. I had no way to do that because I was coming on this boat from these islands and. Um, it just became a situation where I was 
too immature to know that what they really wanted was a bribe. And uh-huh. I was trying to talk to them, like, just like, you know, you got to be real. You got to look at this sensibly. I try to be sensible. They just wanted a bribe. And we just really got to uh, into a situation that I got arrested. And I was put back under boat arrest. My passport was confiscated. We were going to spend the night, I was going to spend the night on the same boat. Um, and then it was an eight day journey back to Puerto Rico, where they were going. And the captain looked at me and said, I knew you were in trouble. And I knew at that moment I was never going to make it to Puerto Rico. It was not going to happen. Oh. So, it's pretty scary. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've had, I, 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 put my, I put myself out around the world a lot of sometimes. That was one of the scariest times ever, but. Yeah, I, I, um, uh, I, I, if I can tell you a short story, when I was in sixth grade, I was 12 years old, and my, my school, my elementary school, um, decided to have a spaghetti fundraising dinner, a dollar, a dollar for all the spaghetti you can eat, and I sat across a table from a guy, one of these long tables with butcher paper, who looked very old to me. I think he was probably 35 years old, but he seemed very old to me, and wise. <laughs> And uh, he told me he had been to 40 countries and spoke five languages. And on the spot, I said, that's my goal in my life. I, I want that kind of life. And I pursued it, and I pursued it through a career that took me all over the world. Amazing. Yeah, yeah that sounds pretty great. Um, well, you know, obviously, your your rich and varied uh, experiences have made you who you are now. Um, you know, you've where you've lived, um, you know what you've done, what you've encountered, uh, and like any writer, um, who you are is critical to what and how you write. Uh, what would you say, Tim, or, or or the one or two key aspects of your life experience that you consider some sort of maybe I could call it foundational? To, to the way that you approach writing uh, or foundational to the themes that you explore in writing, you know, however you want to ask, answer the question. Foundational. Well, uh, gosh, um, <laughs> that's a complicated question. Maybe uh, it is. Maybe it's too asking, complicated. Uh, you're asking sort of like, what made me and why I became a writer and stuff. Um, you know, I just had, a, I had a, a, a different childhood and, and uh, got influenced by people outside of my family uh, that made me more curious about the world than I would have been otherwise, I think. And I um, just sort of psychologically, I grew up in a situation where, you know, you know, sometimes kids are never told they're okay, you know, so that was me. And, so I had to go out and prove myself, and I think I've really put myself out around the world in the kind of a deep psychology of trying to just constantly say, I, I, can, I can do things that are different and, and even better and more than anybody ever expected from me. And so I think in, in a deep-rooted way, that, that, that motivated me early on. Then I became, I, and I could mention the, the story of sitting across from this guy at the spaghetti dinner, um, yes, I want to, I want that kind of life, but then I wanted that kind of life, but doing good stuff in that life. It wasn't just going to be me traveling all over the world, it was me traveling all over the world doing doing something good. And I just had some early experiences in high school and stuff that um, I got involved with civil rights and 
that got me involved with bigger notions of just what I call social justice issues. Um, I, mm-hmm. I had a fascinating career in the United States. I worked uh, with uh, Indian tribes, and I worked, the, I, I worked during the war on poverty in what were called the 46 special impact areas of America. They were the 46 absolutely poorest parts of the country. And hmm. for three years, uh, I had a job where that's where, that's where it took me. And then I did other things that took me elsewhere in the States, and then I eventually flipped and went international and did exactly the same thing. I There were different projects, but I was working in India and Africa and lots of places. So um, I was just, you know, and I was, I, I never had a, I don't say I never had a full-time job. I had a full-time job. I was a contractor, but usually I didn't stay with one place. I would go, I'd work either on a, in a consulting firm for a couple of years until we got a contract, or I would simply get a contract and go overseas for two or three years. And that's how my, my career developed. And I was able to do some really interesting things all, all over the world in the U S and, and elsewhere. Okay. Oh, I, next question is an easy one. Um, I'll give you a, 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 a softball. What's next for you? Didn't you, did you mention that you're working on another novel? Yes. Um, what's next for me is, first of all, the novel that won that uh, Faulkner Wisdom Prize in 2017, Fire on the Island. Mm-hmm. I, I have not passed it on to my agent yet. I, I, I've got a two-book deal uh, with the publisher, uh, and Fourth Career is the first book they, that I, I gave them, and Fire on the Island will be the next. And I'm actually really in the final, final edits of that. It's, it's done, and it won, won an award. A big award as, an, as an unpublished novel, but that's basically as soon as I get past the promotion on the fourth career, that's going to be done in just a few days. Uh, but I am working on a new novel. It's a very exciting piece for me. I, I uh, it's called the Syrian Pieta. Um, it is a story of a Syrian refugee uh, who's living in Istanbul and uh, who's a smuggler of refugees. What they call what we call smugglers. But what were really enablers on the Istanbul side of, of all these refugees trying to get to Europe, and this is what this guy's job is. And he is recruited by the CIA to go very deep undercover on a very dangerous mission with ISIS. And I have the whole thing planned. So, oh, wow. Talk, talk yeah, about timeline. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? We haven't asked you about like where readers can find your books or follow you on social media. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on Facebook. Um, my name is Timothy J J A Y Smith. I go by that. Um, books are available through really any any bookseller. Sometimes I mean you have to order them. Um, it's unlikely a local bookstore is going to have my books, but uh, they're certainly available for order. Um, I don't know what I want to tell you. <laughs> it's a great life. Okay. For well, um, yeah. time goes fast when you're listening to all this exotic experiences that you've had, Tim. Um, so the, the time for the show is about over. Um, best of luck with the fourth career 
and uh, the next thank ones you. that are coming out. And thank you for joining us, calling in the whole way from Europe. Um, you know, I'm, the sound has been pretty good, I think. So that, that's uh, that's it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. And a re- yeah, thank you for joining us. And a reminder to all you readers and listeners. Our books are available on Sunbury Press's online bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and any other online bookstore, retailer, and bookstores. And they can be ordered. Um, special thanks to all of you for listening to the Milford House Mysteries. We hope you enjoyed our program today. Our next program will be Thursday, June 6th at 2.30 p.m. when Sherry and I will discuss writing tips so that join us for a different, different ways to approach the writing process. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media. I'm on the web at www.SherryNolton.com, plus I'm on Facebook and Twitter. And I'm on Facebook.com backslash Carlisle Cases by J.M. West. I also have a new website, and it's CarlisleCrimeCases.com. So, Tim, thanks once again for joining us. Uh, remember, folks, it's the fourth courier. Timothy J. Smith, and we'll see all of, or no, we will be talking to you, we won't actually see you, um, in a few weeks on the next episode of Milford House Mysteries. Thank you. Goodbye.